You're listening to the Howitzer Hour, the official podcast for Seek and Strike Hockey Legion. Now, here's your host, Chris Walker. Welcome to the first ever episode of the Howitzer Hour. I'm your host, Chris Walker, and joining me is my co-host, Josh Kaskin. And Josh, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good, Chris. Glad to be, glad to be here. Yeah, man. It's like uh, we've been talking about getting this started for some time now, and finally it's here, right? Getting the ball rolling a little bit. That's right. Yeah, right on. So, uh, so I figure we would kind of do a little bit of introductions and kind of let our listeners know who we are and and kind of you know how how we've come to uh, to be uh, covering a hockey team. You know? Yeah, for sure. Sounds good. Right on. Right on. So, uh, so why don't you tell the listeners again? Like, uh, tell them tell them where you're from, Josh, and tell them you know how you got into hockey yeah man so i grew up in northern michigan so of course that's like hockey area um grew up skating on our t-ball field it was a local contractor who would spray it down every night in the winter so uh, you know had some, some skates from play it again back in the day and uh that was like a big part of my high school growing up i never played organized but i just played a bunch of pond puck um would go to Grand Rapids Griffins games with my dad, made it to a couple uh, Detroit Red Wings games back in the day. Um, you know, and I even saw some, some juniors in like weird, like the Traverse City Enforcers and the North Stars. Um, you know, of course, and the wings were good when I was in high school. So got to see the 08 Cup champs. And then I went to college at Northern Michigan University and fell in love with college hockey there. Uh, that was our only Division One sport was hockey. So we had, you know, we had D2 football, D2 basketball, but hockey was kind of like the big deal up there. So, yeah, man, I've always always loved it. Right on, right on. <laughs> well, and, and again, I'm I'm Chris Walker, and uh, you know, so I, I'm I'm ultimately I'm from Riverside, California, uh, by way of of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and for me, like, really, I didn't really get into hockey until I would say the birth of the Anaheim Mighty Ducks movies, right? Okay. Uh, so that's, that's when I started uh, really getting into hockey uh, for the most part. I was, I have to, to admit that I, I was a Ducks fan at that time in life. Um, and, you know, and that was through their, their formative years. Of course, I rocked the, the eggplant and teal um, sweater for, for a while. That's, um, that's a beautiful sweater, man. Came it, it really <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. You know, Paul Korea and Timo Solani together. That that was it. And uh and I, I was I'd say that's that really is what broke me in. Um I actually kinda jumped off of that, that whole duck supporting right before they won the Stanley Cup. And uh and that for was a while, the uh, the O seven Mike Babcock year, right? Yeah, so and they also changed the uh the sweaters to that uh Right, the orange the web foot. Yeah, so I, I jumped off of that, but in in the interim, I was let's see, I had moved here to New Mexico uh, for a new job, and I started watching the New Mexico Scorpions games. Okay. So I was going out to uh, the Santa Ana Star Center, um, and you know, watching the New Mexico Scorpions games. Didn't realize that we had an ECHL team, but I was I was pretty pumped for that. Um, you could find me there pretty much all the time. Um, and then I, I want to say maybe a few years after that, when that team went away, 
um, than I had learned about the Lobo hockey team. So I'm sure there had been a kind of a jump in between there, but I learned about the Lobo hockey, the UNM, University of New Mexico uh, Lobo hockey team, and I started going to those games, and that was like pretty much what we had here. That was, you know, that was the enriched uh, sport as far as hockey was concerned. Yeah, and I, and I, it's it's interesting to hear you say you went to those Scorpions games because I've been here for six years now, um, and outside of the Lobos, we really haven't had anything. Um, you know, so I was I was starved for it since I moved from Michigan to to New Mexico. Um, I would make a couple trips a year. You know, I've been to I've seen the Ducks at the Honda Center. You know, just being out west and trying to get to new places. So um, okay. Uh, Two years ago, I went to Las Vegas to catch a um, – it was actually a college hockey tournament where I got to see my Northern Michigan Wildcats play against three other teams um, in Las Vegas. So that was, like, really cool. Um, but, yeah, you know, until the Ice Wolves got here, it was it was slim pickings. You had to kind of work for it. Yeah, you really did. I mean, I remember they had a Renegades team. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe a Mustangs too, but I remember the Renegades team. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I got to do some more research on that stuff. That's before I was here or if it was here, I wasn't aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. So there, I know there were a couple other teams. Um, I know there's been the traveling teams and such, Um, but I, uh, yeah, I, you know, I pretty much just went to the Lobo hockey games and then, you know, uh, outside of that, I had gone to Las Vegas, what was it maybe right before the season before they had the golden Knights, and I had gone to the T-Mobile arena, had gone to the, uh, the frozen fury uh, match between uh, the LA Kings and the Colorado avalanche. Okay. Okay. So it was like a opening up of the arena, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was awesome. You know, had VIP was uh, sitting at the top of the arena in the high lounge and, you know, I'd, Never seen hockey from that far up. Uh, super incredible. Yeah, that's awesome. That sounds like a great experience. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the only – those are like the places where you can see the special effects on the ice, you know, when they have those intros where the ice cracks and then all of a sudden there's a shark popping up. and <laughs> The stuff you know, that T-Mobile Arena is known for. Yeah, super theatrics. So, uh, so yeah, so that was a good time. Um and of course, I I became a Kings fan about 2010, and you know, and I was kind of laughing at this the other day. Fair weather fan, huh? <laughs> well, well, you know, you know, California kids, it's your all your kids' teams are the one team, and then when you become an adult, you uh, you kind of become the rivals. So, um, yeah. So I picked up the Kings, and uh, and mind you, I, I I think that it was meant for me because in '89. Uh, a friend let me wear his uh, Alexi Jitnik sweater, and I was nine years old, and that was the first time I had technically ever really wore anything Kings. But was that, uh, the, uh, was that the Purple Crown? No, that was just a straight black and silver old logo. It was pre Gretzky. Pre Gretzky, okay. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I've been an avid Kings fan. I, you know. Didn't get to touch the cup in 2012. My dad did. But in 2014, I did get to touch the cup. Nice. Yeah, that's definitely, they say it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And the way things are going right now, it could be accurate. 
I mean, the ratings are the same way. So here's <laughs> right. So so let's keep it going. So what are some? So obviously, I think you've kind of given some of the clubs you follow, but just for the sake of of putting it all front front of the listeners, uh, what what clubs are you following? Sure thing. Just hockey in general, or all sports? I will go hockey in general. Okay, so obviously it starts at the top with the Red Wings. Those are my guys. Um, you know, a couple rough years after the uh, playoff streak ended, but got to gotta have faith in Stevie Y. I think things will turn around for us eventually. Um, and then, of course, their feeder teams, the AHL I followed, Grand Rapids Griffins. That was actually the first hockey game I ever went to in 1996 uh, when the Griffins were still in the IHL. They played against a team from Cincinnati. I was at that game. Man, level them um, up. Crazy. Uh, and then, so, for college, I follow Northern Michigan Wildcats, which is actually a couple of, well, we can get into this in a little bit, but uh, a couple of our coaches from the Ice Wolves, that's their alma mater. Um, right. And that's probably about it. Uh, you know, obviously now I'm following some juniors more than I ever have before. And I, I try to keep tabs on other goings-on, especially around college hockey. Um so yeah, man, I'm always just trying to to find new new teams to to get a hold of and learn more about them and build my my fanhood and my knowledge from there. Okay, well, I, I'll I'll pack on to that. So I'm, I'm a Kings fan at this point. Um, I'm gonna stay a Kings fan, so don't worry. There's no uh, relapses back. No, no more uh, jumping ship. Yep. Nope, 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 nope. Definitely gonna sit through this year. This is a rebuilding year, but uh, you know, so that's fine. I'm okay with us being in last place. Um, but uh, what so is King, it uh, play play like Darier for Lafreniere? Is that what the <laughs> slogan is this year? <laughs> I think I think that is what it is. That's too good, you know. Um, yeah. So so Kings fans, as far as NHL, uh, of course Ontario Reigns fan when it comes to AHL. Um, now they're they're a pretty new club. Yeah, they are a pretty new club. Um, who who was the Kings affiliate before they came around? I uh, was the the Monarch. Okay, that's right. They were yeah. based out of out of L.A. Man, Manchester. Manchester Monarchs. Okay. Manchester Monarchs. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's crazy because they had that lion on their sweater. You know, I thought yeah. that was a, a much fiercer version of of Bailey, uh, the the lion. Right, and, uh, right, right. And I know yeah, the the AHL has done some some reconfigurations over the past few years and that I haven't been able to keep track of as well. Yeah, they have done some. And I mean, as far as the Kings are concerned, I mean, you know, the rain are wearing, they're wearing the old uh, LA Kings logo, uh, Gretzky era. And uh, the, the uh, Chevron, the Chevron logo, I think it is. Or no, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. And then, uh, and then of course, both teams practice in the same facility. So it's like, you know, if someone is being called up, they're going down the hallway, basically. That makes that makes it great. Yeah, that that is just insane. So there's there's been some weird ones over the years, you know, like uh I think the uh Milwaukee Admirals were the, the farm team for national predators, so like you make it yeah. a little hike, you know? Or even the Chicago Wolves for the Golden Knights, right? For the Golden Knights, yeah, that's still that's still their affiliate. Yeah, that's so. I mean, you know, so that's that's crazy. Get on uh, it, Reno. Yeah. So, so then, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, I don't really. I mean, other than the Lobos, I I don't have a college team 
Um, I guess, you know, I guess I could stand to probably add a D1 college team at some point. I mean, I'm always spinning. I'm always kind of generating here like Denver U or, you know. DU's good. They're, I mean, if you look in proximity from here, you're talking either Colorado College, Air Force, or Arizona sure. State. Those ah, are that's right. your three close ones to here. Okay, okay. So then I, you know, and of course I had not really watched junior hockey either. Um, and I really wanted to, to get into this with you because, um, you know, my initial reaction to junior hockey, and, you know, I figure we're going to be on this podcast, you know, calling it right down the middle, you know, is I just was not sure that I was going to get into junior hockey. And the reason why is because I didn't understand or didn't see clearly the path that this program, I didn't see how it would really pertain to New Mexico. Um, and, and that being said, because all the players are not from New Mexico, um, you know, so it's kind of like the way the Isotopes baseball team is. It's, it's players from somewhere else kind of sitting here. Right, bit. sitting here waiting to bide their time until they get to the next step, the next level. Right, so I just was not sure. And some of the things that kind of honestly uh, jilted my interest were the fact that, you know, I understood that these these players could get D1 commits or they could, you know, be scouted by NHL or AHL pros or, or scouts, I should say. Um, the fact of the matter the one thing that really got me was the fact that currently it seems like there's not anyone here, um, you know, from anyone on the play, on the team from New Mexico. But, I mean, really, it's kind of like it could be in a couple of years. Right, and that's that's the way I look at it, too. So I remember I had followed some North American Hockey League uh, the past few years, you know, mostly because uh, Northern Michigan had some – some commits, some recruits coming through that pathway, and I was trying to get myself familiar with who they were. Um, So, you know, I was familiar with the league a little bit. I knew who some of the teams were. I think I must have followed them on Twitter or something. So I think I saw that announcement that New Mexico is getting a franchise probably the day it was announced. Um, And I was pretty excited. You know, like I said before, I was really starved to, to catch live hockey myself. I'd gone to a couple Lobos games, and those were a blast. Um, but you know, there's something about this potential of these kids could go to the next level. They could go division one, you know, they could, you could see them in the ECHL or the AHL, you know, possibly the NHL if all goes well. Um, and, and you're right. There's nobody on the team right now from New Mexico. I did go to the main tryout camp in July there were a couple kids. I know there was one kid from Rio Rancho who tried out, and I believe Coach Fox reached out to him, uh, you know, in, in person to get him to come to the tryout. Um, so I think the potential is there. You know, there's there's tons of kids playing hockey here, whether it's at Outpost or whether it's at the back or in Los Alamos or in Santa Fe. I mean, there's, or in Taos, too. I mean, there's kids playing hockey. So it when I first heard that announcement that the ice holes were coming I really thought it was a potential road for some of those kids that, you know, maybe they could get to the collegiate level. And I think, you know, whether or not that comes to fruition, that we get kids from from here on the ice holes, I think it's still a positive thing for the community no matter what. Yeah, I definitely do 
agree with you. Um, and, and we'll obviously get more into that. But I got a couple questions for you. I got to know uh, what what's a game day soundtrack for you? What gets you kind of ready to go? Oh my goodness. Um, I don't know, man. Uh, so lately, I think the album came out in September, but I'm a big like alternative country guy. So, you know, Jason Isbell, Tyler Childers, like those are my guys, but Sturgill Simpson released an album in September called Sound and Fury. And man, that, I just keep coming back to it. Those songs get me going, man. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'd have to say, uh, you know, I feel like I'm turning back time to, uh, the 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 late 90s you know i'm finding my hard rock bands uh you know they just have those those radio tracks that just hit hard um yeah i find myself listening to the band uh flaw and then i find myself listening to like el nino and uh and chimera just a good amount of of hard rock and, and heavy metal um you know just i when i go to hockey games it, it's so crazy sometimes to hear all the EDM music and all the, um, you know, all the techno or all the top 40s hits. And I just, you know, I want to hear something crunchy, man, something with a with a little bit of power to it. And so, yeah, I hear uh, you there. You know, I think, I think especially a lot of your local barns, whether it's juniors or college or wherever, they've kind of stuck with a formula throughout the years. You're always going to hear Sweet Caroline. You're going to hear Chelsea Dagger. Um, you know, I'd love if more places would play Grass Bonanza. That was a uh, an all-trumpet Hartford Whalers song back in the day. Okay, um, okay. That's a good tune right there. But, yeah, man, I know what you mean. Like, they they definitely don't really expand on that too much. I mean, the other, the other night – uh, at one of the games, I heard Limp Biscuit, and I really felt at home that night. That's that's can't go wrong with that, man. <laughs> right? Yeah, it was it was perfect. So, so let me ask you, uh, Josh. Let me ask you about the your favorite concession stand snack. Uh, I'm a big pretzel guy. I've been hitting the breweries up lately just for their pretzels. The Restoration Pizza's got the new pretzel bites. Um, but at the games, man, can't go wrong with popcorn, candy, maybe a soda. Um, but you know, you got to get that in intermission. You can't be missing any of the action. That's very true. That's very <laughs> true. Right on. Yeah. So, uh, so let's, uh, let's kind of get a little bit into, into the ice rules games. Um, so we've, we've now, we've taken in some games in person. Uh, you actually went to the first home game, right? Yeah. I was at the home opener. I had, uh, that was like my big sports weekend for me. I'd actually won tickets to New Mexico United versus Phoenix. So I was making sure I hit the hockey game Friday night. So oh, I could nice. go to soccer on Saturday. Okay. Um, so, yeah, man, that was my brother came down, and uh, me and my fiance and him, we all went to that first opening game just to scope it out. Uh, and I thought the, the atmosphere was incredible, man. There was tons of people there. The parking lot was packed. Um, and, and, you know, they put up – they played a really good game. They they ended up falling in the shootout, I believe, on that one to Odessa. Uh, okay, but it was a good time. Okay, so let's so let's talk about it a little bit. Let's get a little bit more into, into to the team. So the New Mexico Ice Wolves. So when the logo first came out, and you had saw they had kind of panned into what the old logo looked like. Yeah, and they yeah. went into the new one. Like, 
What what was your reaction uh, between the logos? You know, I, it's tough to say. It's tough to judge my reaction. I I enjoy the the old Ice Wolves logo. There's something about the, you know, the more traditional looking wolf biting that hockey stick that I I, I thought that was a, a nice logo. And they still use it, I think, for their house teams, right? Yeah, they still use it for their house teams. Uh huh. So so I think it was good to differentiate the new franchise from the house teams. So I think it, you know it's good for them to get their own logo. I think obviously I love the New Mexico symbolism. That's just peppered in that logo you got the balloons you got the sandias you got the colors you got the zeta symbol i mean it's all there i kind of wonder if it's a little too busy kind of the same way the minnesota wild logo is too busy oh yeah you know it's got a lot going for it but i wonder if they tried to squeeze in one or two too many things yeah that's a good question why when I saw the logo, I, I definitely did like the old Ice Wolves logo. It This one took me a little while to get used to it. I think that it, it in ways, it showed kind of that it was like a junior hockey logo. I think that kind of the top of the, the Wolves head, it has kind of a, a cowlick feature going on. Sure. So it, it had kind of a... A, like a, a youth movement kind of thing, right? Yeah, kind of like that kind of going on with it. Um, it it definitely did. I did like the parts of the Zia's rolling into the eyes. I thought that that was pretty cool. The the hot air balloon, you know, it was very intricate. It it along the lines of what you were saying about Minnesota Wild. I was thinking about that new. Uh, Carolina Hurricanes logo and how they had the flag and then there was like the state of North Carolina like worked in somehow and yeah yeah so like like I mean it's definitely a well-designed logo the ice wolves and um, I think yeah I think you're on the right track with Minnesota and Carolina like they're they're fun logos to look at and, and obviously all the design elements are there but it's a little busy yeah, it it definitely is. I mean, I I am I do like the color combinations. I actually I feel like I've seen those colors come together for like some some native gatherings. Like um those colors are very prominent amongst like amongst like native heritage. And I I don't know which tribe, so I'm not going to uh, certainly attempt to pin it but yeah, yeah any, i don't want to try that either <laughs> but but if any of our our listeners you know can tell me like the colors uh teal black yellow red and white kind of tie into that'd be really great education that we'd love to have um but the but let me ask you this though so their home jerseys are the white and their away are the black and i just got to see the black and I, I'm honestly surprised that they don't roll the black at home. Yeah, I think the black at home would be sharp. I think pretty traditionally away teams are rolling with their dark jerseys. Um so I think I don't know if that's a league rule. Um or if that's just hockey culture. I'm not sure on that. Um but I, I agree. I saw that they got their online shop rolling in, and I think if I was to get a jersey, I'd definitely go with the black one. Yeah, and I mean, let's let's kind of talk about that some. So, 
they just had this blackout weekend. And, of course, you know, I want to get into a little bit of, of, of that weekend as well. But they just had this blackout weekend really to, to as a marketing movement to if they can get, like, the whole crowd to wear black and essentially to really, you know, push their, their dark merchandise, which they don't have a lot of. They only have the black jerseys. I think everything else is gray or a lighter color. Um, I I would like to see them have more dark merchandise because it is – I just haven't really seen teams rocking athletic gray for for everything. Or at right. least – or at least – haven't thought about a third alternate and worked in the gray. Like if they're playing a, I don't know, a, a Thursday or Sunday game or something of the nature, like, you know, maybe they would work that in. Maybe that's something for another year, but. Yeah, um, I can see that being something for another year. I mean, unless they surprise drop it this weekend, we got a Thursday game coming up. I mean, that's true. That's very true. So, so I thought that we would, you know, kind of, get into the these last two games um, a little bit for our listeners um, and just really kind of give them a recap of what, what had happened. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely wanted to, to to get you kind of clued in a little bit too. Um, yeah, so, I wasn't there this past weekend, but I did scope some box scores, so I kind of have a, a bit of an idea. Okay, right on. So, yeah, so I figured I'll, I'll kind of get us going here in this this recap. So, you know, Friday night, um, you know, they they were coming into that game ultimately looking to extend their two-game win streak uh, that they had from sweeping Topeka Pilots the weekend before. Right. So so they came in, and honestly, I'll, I'll have to tell you that the the run of play on Friday night, it, it was a very uh, very fluid movement through the Lions. Uh, they started out with uh, Griffin Sanum, Emil Gabrielson, and Philip Ekberg um, as obviously the first line. So Sanum got the uh, the move upwards, as and, opposed to uh, as Rudrud? opposed to Spencer Rudrud. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yep. Do so, you think that that uh, was a good move? Uh, you know, I do think it was a good move because I think that Sanum has been taking sh- taking more shots like in his time. So as far as having a a productive first line, I thought that that was definitely a good move for them for sure. Um I had actually kind of written up some of like of I've written up like who's taking what shots and uh, per the thing, per per the line. So I looked at it for left wing, and Shannon has three goals, three assists, and he's got 46 shots overall. But, of course, as of Friday night, he had 42 shots. Um, next in that left wing movement was Frisk, who was he was in the second line, and he had zero goals, three assists, 24 shots. Uh, Jackson Willie had three goals, one assist, 32 shots. And then Kemp had zero goals, one assist, one assist, and 18 shots. So, I mean, if you look at the left wings for what it is now, I mean, Santa makes sense as the first line. The top line, yeah. Yeah, I honestly did. I mean, Frisk had a good night that night. He definitely was 
uh, a contributor as far as setting up the passes. I mean, through the second and third period, it, there were quality minutes for him. But as to having him on the second line, I mean, I couldn't see that. I would think Jackson Willie would, would still be on the second line. Yeah, I can see that. And it's, it's interesting to see, like, the development of these guys. Cause, you know, that, that home opener that I went to back in September, uh, Jackson really was one of the guys that I was most impressed with. Um, and I think the kick in play, but, I, you know, you're right. It's, you know, coaches tinkering with those lines to see which pieces fit in the best ways. Um and I think there's some, there's definitely some talent there, but you got to figure out who's most productive where and with who. I mean, between the two days, so I, I let me just, I'll just stay with Friday for now, but we'll we'll get into a comparative contrast. But uh, so that night, it it was obviously a scoreless game through three periods. The thing about Friday night was again like. Everything skated smoothly. Uh, there were little to no penalty minutes uh, for the Ice Wolves. Uh, early in the first period, they just – the game seemed like it went too fast for them. Like they um, – the turnovers were on an all-new level. It was like they could not uh, pass puck to, to tape. You know what I mean? Like it just – yeah. It was not happening, and, and so all the turnovers that they was created, uh, was Amarillo just kicking us off in the neutral zone and just going. Yeah, Amarillo definitely was skating hard to the net, and they were just pushing the puffs like as close as they could get them. Friday night, they did a whole lot of passing across the front of the crease as well as um, coming around the back of the net and doing spin and go shots. Okay, uh, and they were very much. That was their their gig on Friday night. Um, not as much man on man coverage for the Ice Wolves, but they started to make the adjustments through the periods. Um, to be honest, there were a lot of really close calls uh, for the Ice Wolves. I mean, uh, you already had Josh Graziano like laying belly down to the ice and you know and extending his legs, doing everything he could to just make a barricade in front of the goal. And, and he did it well, um, you know, obviously facing 50 shots that night. I mean, that's that's incredible. Like, I don't care what level of hockey you're at. You make 50 saves and, and get a shutout. You're doing something right. So hats off to Graziano. Right, right. Definitely hats off to Graziano. So then the Ice Wolves that night, they the shot factory was not open. It was like they only had 27 shots. Um, through the periods, it was very consistent. It was about eight, nine shots each period. Uh, through the, they had gotten to a three-on-three overtime, and they had only taken one shot as to where the uh, Bulls had taken four shots. So okay. they just could not. It, it was a, it was a combination of uh, when I talked to Emil Gabrielson, it was well, we're not going to take stupid shots or just shoot to shoot. We're going to take the shot. We're going to get a good look if it's open. So no shots. It didn't really maybe appear that there were as many good shots or maybe something had to do with these lines and, you know, the the productivity uh, of the lines. Hmm. Uh, is it was, – was Amarillo's defensive pairings that much better? Uh, yeah, I was – Shutting down the shooting lanes or were we just yeah. – 
Yeah, they like you said that that Emil said, you know, they weren't shooting just to shoot, which that could account for the low numbers, but if the lanes weren't there, they're not going to take those shots. Yeah, I think that they they their defensive pairing definitely was shutting down the lanes. I think that just looking at the way that the the shot counts came per the lines, I mean, the top line produced seven shots on the night, and then the third line produced six shots, but the second line produced three shots, and the fourth line produced two shots. So, I mean, the rotation for us just, the times that we probably had the right lines in, we were also battling being shorthanded. Okay. Um, so, I mean, the, the Bulls had two power plays. Of course, both got shut down, which was an impressive effort for the Ice Wolves because those were really big stops. That's, it's, that's exactly when all the shots started coming in was when the uh, Ice Wolves were shorthanded. Yeah. Just, they just came raining in. And so, they made some quality stops. Of course, the Ice Wolves had a power play, but they just they could not turn it over into a result. So what would you rather watch, a 0-0 game like that on Friday or like a 4-3 barn burner? I mean, they're both oh. barn burners. <laughs> they, 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 they definitely are. Um, for me, honestly, I like the 0-0 game. Um you know, the, if you look at the way it started, I mean, the turnovers were the big thing. And then the second period, it was full defensive periods. That's pretty much where the penalty minutes came through. And then it was like the Ice Wolves were giving the puck kind of to them near the net because of bad decision-making. Third period was like, okay, this is going to be a 1-0 game. We have to find some shots. So then you see the Ice Wolves kind of, you know, start it up and, and take some more shots. But ultimately, going three-on-three, three, I mean, of course, they had the top line out there for the three-on-three, three, uh, which was the best choice they could have made. And, right. and to no avail, there's the best of three shootout, top three, also go for the shots. You know, and, and we – We were we were blank, blank, blank through three rounds of shootout, both sides, right? Yeah, yeah. So the only – I mean, I don't want to spoil it if you want to go for it. No, 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 no. Go ahead. We, we, so, before, so before we even get there, though, let me tell you, I mean, like, you know, it was incredible seeing a shootout from side to side because the goalkeeper for the Bulls was just incredible. Like, just he had definitely had a top game. And I don't know his story, but I believe he's scouted or is committed to uh, – I'm not even sure if he is if he's made a commit yet, but I know he's been scouted. I know that the other night that there was a scout there, and I believe for the Ice Wolves from the Maple Leafs. Oh, okay, wow. It's so that's pretty impressive. Yeah, that that is pretty impressive. So, um, so no, you can definitely go for it though. So the best of one shootout. Best of one, fourth round, uh, and they shot first, correct? They shot first, correct. So Amarillo misses it, and our guy, Griffin Sanum, he's the one that buried it, fourth round, the only goal of the game. And, and I mean, look, it had to be Griffin Sanum. He got added to the top line, so obviously he was next in rotation. The three-on-three uh, the three was, and the, also the best of three was, uh, Emil Gabrielson, Philip Ekberg, and uh, Keegan. Langefels. 
Oh, so that so okay, so they put a, a defenseman up on the three on three. Yeah, they sure that's, did. That's pretty common. Yeah, that's okay. So then, obviously, the next forward would be Sanum. Yeah, so he was he was set. So I mean, he took the shot, he buried it, and that was it. They won that night. They went, you know, it was the third game in their win streak, and and I mean, honestly, the word to describe it, relentless. I mean, they did not want to give up any cheap goals. I mean, there was a point at the end of the three-on-three where the puck just failed, like, just an inch by an opening on the goal. And the and then at, the, at that same point, play was called dead with, like, a tenth of a second left. Okay. And then, of course, you know, they drop the puck and that's over. Then it goes into three-on-three. But that puck almost went in before a tenth of a second. <laughs> and you know, like when you're getting outshot that bad, I mean, to get to get a win, you know, say what you will about shootouts, but but that's highway robbery. So so good for them. Right. So so then let's go into Saturday night. So Saturday night was just a complete contrast of like what Friday night was all about. I mean, Saturday night was, you know, the Ice Wolves trying to still address. Um, the passes in front of the net, still trying to address the spin and goes, definitely trying to um, have a better showing in the D zone, not letting them drive nets or, or pucks into the net. Uh, but the first period, it was just, it seemed like it was full defensive for uh, the Ice Wolves. They They did their best to really limit the shot count for, uh, Amarillo, but Amarillo, obviously, I mean, they shoot, and every single person on their on their roster has at least one. Right, right. So some scoring depth for sure. Right. So they're they're taking shots, and of course, you know that that that's happening now. After, after the first period, I talked to uh, Coach Kyle Fulmer, and you know he's talking about the fact that they needed to. Um, identify their coverage a lot sooner than they had. So their man-on-man coverage was a little slow. Um, forwards were getting pinned against the boards. And it was like one guy would be against the boards, and then a second guy would come to try to help out, and he'd get pinned against the boards. Right. And, and they did well, overload. Then you that. have a spacing issue. Right. And then and then the Bulls did overload. They did send the third person to – go and scoop the puck out. But the Ice Wolves did not do it on the, on the other side of the ice. So is that the Bulls' plan then? It's just, you know, pin pin our guys deep, get one guy to scoop it out, chuck a two-line pass, and just go? Oh, yeah. That definitely was, was the plan. And, and it was in effect that night. Um, the Bulls didn't really do as much spin and go as they did the night before, and they did not really have as many opportunities to pass across the front of the uh, of the goal. So, some positives. So, some positives. So, the man-on-man coverage was working. Uh, they kept their heads about them. Uh, and then, of course, not until the second period does things really go crazy. Okay. Right, because it was scoreless after one. Yeah, it was scoreless after one. So, but let me let me back up to the top because there's one factor that I did not tell you about Saturday versus Friday. So... Saturday night, the roster, the the lines looked similar to the night before. 
Um, you know, you did have Sandlin, Grabelson, and Ekberg up top. And then the second line was actually Jackson Willie, Michael McCosh, Drew Hornchak. So, I mean, they moved the third line from Friday night up to the second. They okay. Switched, they switched Spencer Rudrud and Drew Lorenchak with each other. And then, of course, the last, the third line was uh, Connor Kemp, Alex Gomez, and Spencer Rudrud. So, like, essentially, they brought up the fourth line to the third, but they left uh, Finn McLean in the fourth spot still. So, let's. So just let's, a chemistry issue? I think so, but let's, let's spend a moment. And just kind of address Ben McLean. So he's been with us for six games, and he has not registered any shots, and he's been stuck pretty much in that fourth line. If not, like I think there was maybe that one instance the weekend against Topeka where he was the center forward uh, on the third line, but he's pretty much just been in this fourth line. Okay, and he's he's a center. Yeah, but he's been playing right wing. I mean, okay, games. okay. So I I just there's not much productivity out of him these last two games, and I mean like again like he has not really he's only produced I think maybe one shot. Uh, I'm really concerned that I I'm wondering if we will see him on the roster much longer, like if he's still kind of being evaluated. I mean that's possible. I mean there are guys that. You know, there's there's more guys on the roster than can be dressed in any given night. So there are, you know, the healthy scratches, the injuries, the coaches' decisions. Um, yeah, I, I know I talked to the, I talked to Finn the one game, um, and he seemed really excited to be here. He's part of that. He, he, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's part of that Maryland Black Bears connection. Yeah, he's part of that pipeline for sure. <laughs> They're our farm team. <laughs> yeah, um, right. So. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I mean, I know I, this is where I struggle because, you know, I'm learning this league. I'm learning how juniors work, and you see guys get moved around. And, you know, we had the draft over the summer. We had tenders before the draft even happened. And a lot of those guys have never been on the team or are already released. Um, and, you know, it's 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 different than – you know, a D1 college scholarship or a professional athlete, like, these are teenagers. You know, these guys are coming from far away, leaving their families to play play hockey here and, you know, live with billet families. Um, You know, so I kind of feel for them, you know, like, to just get uprooted and then maybe not make it the whole season. That's, you know, I, I, I don't really know how to address that. Like, obviously, it's part of the game. It's, it's a business. It's the team's trying to win. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not sure, like, and, and the team's been pretty quiet about their reasonings behind certain things like that. Yeah. Now I did get to talk a little bit. So or I did actually get some communication from uh, coach Phil Fox about the, some of the latest transactions. I'd love to share that with you. Awesome. Love to hear it. Yeah, so he uh, so he had to say that uh, Filipov wanted to play more and and go back to his previous team in the WSHL. So the Correct. Fresno the Western Monsters. States. Yep. Yeah. So the Fresno Monsters, and then he said Kozal, we brought in when we were banged up, and he returned back to the Omaha U18. 
Okay. And then Creighton, you know, hasn't been playing since their first exhibition game, and he suffered an upper body injury, and so he was going to be out for a long time. Ah, okay. So did he, he got released? Yeah, he got released. And uh, and then I asked him a little bit more about Josh Langford, right, because, of course, this was our, our University of Maine commit. You know, he was, you know, getting – The one and only NCAA-bound guy so far. Right, right, right. Get Getting some minutes for sure. Um, and, you know, Phil said that uh, – he said we feel we're solid on the goalie position and, and we're really lucky to have, have Josh when we did. He's a tremendous guy and awesome teammate. For Josh and his development, we thought it was best to send him somewhere that he can play a lot more uh, than he has with us. Uh, being in division is something we thought about, but ultimately we want to put him in the best spot for him also. And he, he went on to say that, that uh, Henrik Lorison uh, will play a lot more often and he's worked hard for his time. And no big shifts to the Lions at this time. Okay. Well, that's good to hear that. I mean, I, I hear two things there. I hear I hear faith in Lorson as a, as a backup netminder, but also a, a solid number two guy. Um, and I hear Coach Fox doubling down on his number two overall draft pick in Graziano, um, yeah. which is good to see. And, and, you know, I wrote that Topeka Pilots preview, and I had one of my goalie to watch was, I believe his name is Jakob Dobes. And okay. I, thought he was, I thought he was the main guy at Topeka. And I didn't catch it in time before I wrote that, but he had actually got moved up to the Omaha Lancers of the USHL. So oh, wow. I wonder. I, Topeka clearly had a need. Um, yeah, they did. So to get to get Langford, and of course that's, that's huge for them. Well, and it'll be huge for us. It'll be a very interesting match when when the two teams play each other. Go there, right? And you know, I like to see that. You know, the obviously they're a South Division rival. Langford's still going to be around. Uh, but at the end of the day, we want him to go to the University of Maine and do well, and that's best for him. So it's good to hear Coach say things like that. Right, for sure. So back to Saturday night, they actually started the third line, and that was a very big surprise to me. I, I didn't quite understand, other than to think that maybe they would start off with the the less productive lines and kind of rotate into the lines that, you know, obviously they knew that they could rely on for shots. So Connor Maybe Tim, it was a matchup thing, like trying to put our top guys against against their third line? Yeah, that actually could be possible. Um, I did start to think about that towards, towards the end of the game. I mean, Connor Kemp, Alex Gomez, and Spencer Redwood got the, got the nod. And, of course, after them was Zach Fritz, Alex Dominic, and Finn McLean. Okay. So I mean, just looking at some of the some of the stats that night, um, the line with Connor Kemp, uh, they got five shots. It was two two for Connor and three for Spencer. Alex uh, didn't uh, find goal at all. Uh, the line with Fritz, Dominic, and uh, McLean, uh, one shot from that line. Hmm. Uh, and then the line, the line with Sanum, Gabrielson, and Eckberg, eight shots from that line. Gabrielson had no shots on goal. So four and four split between Eckberg and Sanum, and, and it was consistent through the periods. Uh, the line with Willie, Lakosh, and Lauren Schacht, uh saw three shots, one, one for each. So it, it was just a very interesting thing. I, I don't know 
if maybe that rotation kind of vexed the energy a little bit, but it just seemed like, you know, it's kind of odd. I mean, obviously the most consistent line they have is Sanum, Gabrielson, and Eckberg. Right, right. And that's the best line. So if that line's not turning over, you know, any any points, you know, it's you know it's going to make for a long night. Sure, sure. I want, so I wonder if it was overthinking on coach's part, you know, trying to trying to get some offense, trying to get things going, tweaking, you know, and it's a it's a gamble, and maybe didn't pay off on Saturday. Right. So, so let's talk about shot count. So. The Bulls had 51 shots, and the Ice Wolves had 23 shots. This is Saturday? This is Saturday. So more or less the same as Friday. Yeah, exactly. So more conservative. This I have to say it's a lot different than the Ice Wolves we saw when we first went, where they were just taking any shots and dumping the pucks. I mean, they were getting 40 shots a night for sure. But Right. We went to that game against uh, Shreveport, and, you know, they were out shooting them. Yeah. So it's definitely a big contrast to see them taking more concise, purposeful shots. You know, definitely think that they have to find that balance of take the shot when it's there, but also like, okay, we need to shoot a little bit more because the, you know, the proficiency of a putt going through is going to be from taking more shots. Right. I mean, and, and, you know, you put, you put the puck on net and sometimes good things happen. You get a, you get a juicy rebound, you get a bad bounce you got to at least try. I mean, if you, if you, the Bulls players are taking six, seven shots each, right? So, I mean, you know, they're, they're due to get one through if they have any shots. Right. Right. Um, so where things went kind of south in the second period was the penalty minutes. Um, you know, the Bulls found a way to get in our guys' heads and to make them react. And, you know, we, we found ourselves with, uh, ultimately giving the Bulls like, eight power play opportunities through the night, but five through the second period. Second, second period. Um, the Bulls went three of five on their power plays. So essentially, do it. yep. So, you know, the first three power plays uh, produced three goals against yeah. the Ice Wolves. That's a, that's a tale as old as the Ice Wolves organization, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's uh that really did do it. They were shorthanded, and then all of a sudden it was like, okay, the uh, man-on-man defense that you had, you know, no longer effective. Now you're playing zone and a diamond, too, by that, you know. So right. So I, I honestly think that they've got to work on something with zone. Man is great for good coverage, but they have to think about the times when they're shorthanded. And, and this is crazy to say that because prior to these games, uh, they had only allowed one goal on the last 20 power plays. So Right. I've, I've been noticing that. You know, if you look at special teams numbers, uh, the power play, it, it, it hits every now and then. It, I wouldn't call it a great power play. Um, but they take a lot of penalties, and I think that percentage is pretty low for power play goal. Yeah, opposing power play goals that they give up. Um so that is a little bit disheartening to see that this three in a row like that. Right. And then the fourth goal goes in while they're at full strength. And I honestly think it's you're down zero three, nothing's working. I mean, you're 
your penalty kill, the the thing that had been working, isn't working. So yeah, it's hard to stay focused in that type of game. Right, you're right. They, they they came off their three best games of their history. So yeah, and they they lost their heads. The game got away from them. Um, you know, when I had talked to uh, Keenan Johnson after the game, you know, and kind of asked them, you know, just where the game had gone wrong, obviously he said, you know, being they couldn't stay out of the box that night. And, of course, he, he had three other penalties. I mean, so, you know, as the captain, you know, he was trying to keep yeah. everyone focused on the way they had been playing. But he himself, I mean, was in the box. And he didn't agree with the calls. And maybe one or two was soft. But nonetheless, you know, I mean, they got the better side of them. And, and they lost focus of that game. Yeah, sounds like it. So that pretty much puts them, I guess, at the point now where it's like, okay, well, now they're coming into this week with the Lone Star Brahmas. They're going to be playing that the top team the, in the South Division. Right. They're playing three nights in a row, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So one more than, you know, than they had in the last couple of weeks. I think I'm so successful weekend against the Brahmas, top team. Well, what are you looking for? Three, four points? Are you hoping for any more? Uh, I they got to get two or three, two of the three wins. Yeah, two of the three wins for sure. But I mean, they if you know if they can pick up, if they can pick up three points, not bad. Yeah, I'll take I'll take a win and an overtime loss. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's the thing that we have to remember about the Ice Wolves is they're coming into probably one of the toughest divisions for their first year. So it really is that South so, division, a gauntlet. Right. So, yeah, they won three, but, I, you know, I thought to myself, you know, are the fans going to start to get are, – are they going to start to have expectations or demand because they've seen the team win three in a row? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I hear that. But, you know, the, the arena seats, what, 1,000? Yeah. And I've seen I, – I think from the scores that I've looked at, we've been pretty consistent, I'd say, what, 600 to 800 I think the fans that want to watch hockey are coming out. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a good showing of, of hockey fans. And, and honestly, the three-game streak is what made it a sold-out crowd on Saturday. Like I got there, you know, about 30 minutes before the game started, and there, there were literally was, only three seats left in the place. So there was, there was talk that the team was winning. Yeah. I mean, that's good to see. Yeah, it was definitely good to see. So, I mean, you, and know, you know, like it, it's just one game. So, I mean, they what did they lose? Thirteen, fourteen games in a row. I mean, that's that's a deep hole to start the season that you've dug yourself. Um, I don't likely see them making the playoffs this year. Uh, you know, we can hope, but if you start to look at the standings, I think they're up to let's see, they're up to nine points now. They got three wins. They're really only five or six points down behind. I think the next team up is Odessa. Yeah, and you got the Minnesota Magicians, right, in Jamestown? Yeah, and I think maybe St. – I'm talking just in the South Division. There's some oh, teams sure, yeah. That are, there's some teams that have low teams points. Right. Um, but that, that, that potential of climbing out of the basement of the South, it's there. It might not happen, but, but it's, it's certainly within the realm of possibility. And I think that'd be, that'd be a great goal for this team going forward this year. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I mean, look at it. Like, 
they won those three games because they played as a team. And, it, and I know it's, you know, I, I touched on it a little bit with the article about the, the maturity of the players and, and not being lone wolves and being team players, but surely that was the formula. I mean, Saturday night was, they lost their cool and they lost that sort of, Hey, this is what we're doing it for the team. We got to shake these guys off. Right. I mean, they, they gave in a little bit and, and that ultimately cost them. And that was the theme we saw heading into the series with Topeka. We heard it from, we heard it from coach Fox. We heard it from countless players, whatever coach Fox was selling heading into that series last weekend with Topeka, the players are buying. We heard that word unity pop up two or three times. Um, and and maybe that carried forward to the Amarillo series. Maybe it didn't. I, like I don't know. Do they? How do they build on that? Because I mean that Topeka series was that was a whole other team we were watching. Oh yeah, I agree with that for sure. I mean I I think that the the things that they've got to work on are uh, they they have to work on getting down on the deficit. I mean they have done that so many times earlier in the season. So being down a goal or two, I'm sure really wasn't, it wasn't the end all on Saturday night, but I'm just thinking some of the things that they really have to do to get out of the hole is really just, you know, just stay focused. They got to come out. They got to, they got to battle for first pucks. They got to obviously like on the face-offs, they got to, get the pucks deep and, and really look for rebounds. I mean, one of the things that Zach Frist said is that they they board too much. They play off of off of the boards way too much and that they need to be getting pucks on the glass and, and just getting them in some, you know, unorthodox or unorthodox uh, places for placement because they really did project a lot of where the puck was going um, as they were playing. It was just like textbook hockey for a little while. Right, right. So, to me, um, the deficit was something they got to address. I mean, penalties, obviously. Right. So, they, if they go down 2-0, to zero, they got to make it 2-2 two to two before they make it 4-0. to zero. Yeah. Well, they got to make it 2-2 two to two before they think about making it 3-2. to two. I mean, Right, 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 right. Ultimately, you know, I mean, they had fun out there the other night. So that's obviously a part of, of things as well. Um, but like Fulmer said, he, they needed to make them dump the puck and then shrink the neutral zone on them. And they needed to make them come and get it. But allowing them to shoot for rebounds is basically what was killing them because they were just driving in really hard and then just the, the puck was there. So, um, so it's not anything that I think they couldn't do. I honestly do think that they could get two or three from Lone Star um, I think that they could certainly upset them, but it's going to require a lot of focus and a lot of discipline uh, to not lose them. Because, of course, this team has already put 15 up on them, you know, in the last time that they, they play each other. Right, right. Yeah, I'd be curious to see if they can turn that around, stay out of the penalty box, watch the so, turnovers. So what do you think they might do with the Lions? Do you think that they may think about going with the the the, the least – uh, potent line. You think they'll go with the, the Connor Alex Gomez line again against Lone Star? Do you think that they'll come out heavy hitting with the Santa Gabrielson Eckberg line? I think you gotta you gotta put your heavy hitters up there. I think Eckberg and Gabrielson can 
can hang with those top guys. Um, Lone Star is an interesting team. They're, they have nine college commitments. They have, I was looking at their stat sheet today. They have, I think five or six players that have six goals or more on the season. Um, they got one guy with like 21 assists. I mean, they're wow. making plays out there. So I think you got to put your, your big dogs up top. I wouldn't mind seeing Sanum go to the second line with McCosh and Lauren Shack and seeing Willie up, up top with Gaberson and Eckberg. I yeah, kind of want to see that. Have they been switching Rudrud away from his natural position when they bump him down? Uh, yeah, he's been playing. No, he's been playing on the right the whole time okay. that he's been moving down. Um, but Sanum is not – I mean, this is – these are the first two times I saw Santa playing left. Santa was right wing too. Okay. Yeah, I think I think one of the keys against Lone Star is going to be your gritty guys. If they can play gritty and stay out of the box, you know, your Zach Frisks, your Jackson Willies, your Sean Henrys. Um, I think they got to play tough to match up the the offensive power of the Brahmas. Um, without taking penalties. Yeah, for sure. I mean, because, again, like, look at the two nights. I mean, 50 shots each night, you know, but a 1-0 victory on Friday night. And so right. if, you're, if you're Graziano, you're getting praised for 50 saves, but you didn't put, you didn't have, like, you know, eight pucks going by you. I mean, you know what I'm saying? And and then if you're Lawrence in, like, yes, you had 50 you had 47 saves of 50 shots, 51 shots at you, but four went through. And of course, you were shorthanded. So, I mean, what yeah, could you do? It's the defense. It yeah, it's, it's, right. it's the defense. I mean, exactly. they weren't getting pucks through any other way. Um, the one thing that was different again is that um, the Bulls did start Charlie Glockner both nights in goal, okay. and and I suppose obviously gave rotation to both goal. goal goaltenders. Um, you know, Lorson doesn't get down on the ice the way that Graziano does. There were a lot more openings. The way that they got those goals in on Lorson were just literally just sticking them in the crevices and, you know, and and finding the holes underneath them. It wasn't like they were long shots. They were just like pokes inside the, the goal each time just about. So, yeah. It's tough, you know. Um, I'll use a college hockey example. My my favorite team, Northern Michigan, they had a senior goaltender last year, Ate Tolvanen. Um, he was he was an Ironman. He played just about every game, Friday night, Saturday night. He was playing, you know, 180 minutes a weekend, 120 minutes a weekend. Uh, and this year, you know, he graduated, so now they're they're rocking a platoon. They got two guys. And it's almost like it's it's almost like a backup quarterback. If you have two quarterbacks, you have none. And and I don't know if that's where the ice wolves are, um, because at that level, at seventeen, eighteen, nineteen years old, going back to back like that has got to be tough. You know, it's not like the NHL where you play a game every two or three, four days, and you can have one guy carry the load for the whole season. Right. Um, you know, so so I think going with Lorson on one of the one of the two nights per weekend, I think there's nothing wrong with that, and I think he's a capable goaltender. 
Um, but I, I do think Graziano is the main man in that. I think you're right too. And I, and I compiled some stats too. Um, like I said, through the lines, I, I had already read you the, the left wings, but uh, as far as the center forwards, I mean, Gabrielson's still holding it down. Three goals, three assists, 29 shots. Alex Dominic with three goals, six assists, 31 shots. I wouldn't doubt it if you saw Dominic on that top line sooner or later. Um, uh, Michael McCosh, uh, one goal, one assist, 19 shots. And then, of course, Alex Gomez with one goal, zero assists, and seven shots. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you're and, right. You no. Know, I, I think Coach still might be tinkering, too. I wouldn't be shocked to see one or two more transactions in the next month or two. Yeah, I, I honestly think that he's thinking he's got to be – I mean, he's got to get more guys that can shoot. Or yeah. that's what they're working on, at least to say the least. Because, again, when I look at the Bulls uh, roster and everyone had a shot Friday night and all but maybe one guy had a shot – on Saturday, and some guys were shooting five, six, and seven shots, and those are the ones that got the, the pucks in the net. So, I mean, obviously, there's you know, shooters got to shoot like is very accurate, but I think that we just need to see some more uh, offense coming out of these lines because, um, you know, it's that that's what we're lacking, and I mean, that's very obvious. Like. You know, I, I think he's actually got a, a tight roster now. I mean, he's, oh, I do too. He's worked out a lot of the the rookie players that maybe didn't bring him the right level of experience, um, and it, it looks pretty tight. Like I couldn't really think of anything that he needs to get rid of. Maybe Finn McLean needs development, but that's probably why he's sitting on fourth line though too. Right, right, and you know, there's some of these guys that are younger. They're they could get that development in practice this year and be ready to go next year. You know, that's always a possibility. Yeah, very true. So I guess like to kind of wrap up this first episode of, of our pod, um, what, uh, what are some things you're going to be focused on when it comes to uh, the ice wolves? What are you going to be looking at um, for this roster in the, in the coming weeks? Yeah, man, I'd like to see, I'd like to see them continue to start winning faceoffs, stay out of the penalty box, um, getting like we saw in Topeka when they won those two games or against Topeka, getting second and third opportunities in the offensive zone, I think is going to be huge. You know, whether or not you, you put it on net, okay, get the rebound, send it back to the point, and start over. Um, I think that that played a huge role against Topeka. Um, and then just eliminating how many shots the other team takes. I think that's going to be, you know, Graziano's not going to have 50 safe shutouts every time we allow 50 shots. Like, that's just not a reality. Um, I, I, you know, I don't care if he's Dominic Hoshik. He It's just not going to happen. So we've got to lower that number to 25 to 30 or less. Yeah, I definitely side with you on that. They they have to limit the number of shots from the opponent. Um, these teams are not shy when it comes to shooting, so they've got to limit it to about half half the amount. Um, they're also going to have to really work on 
Um, how they how they defend in the D zone. I mean, they can't allow teams to drive the puck in. They have to uh, definitely make contact a lot sooner. Um, and I, I think that they got to fire up the shot factory. I mean, I've said it a few times in this in this episode, but they have to fire off on, on the shots. I mean, that is the only way uh, that they're going to turn some things around. And even if it's just to put it, you know, on on a weird spot on the boards. I mean, they ultimately uh, just need to 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 dominate that side uh, of the game because to only be shooting twenty some shots a game and coming out of score lines with like maybe one two two goals, you know, from it all is like okay, like you're really like like calling upon the hockey gods for, for right. one of them is to right. go in. So yeah, and you're, you're playing games. Yeah. You're playing that kind of puck luck. Yeah. You're, you're playing teams that are shooting 50 and rightfully so. That's why they're walking away with such, such high score. The, the last thing I think too, is they really got to care a little bit about differential because that, that game against uh, Topeka I mean, I get it. You were stoked to win your second game, but you let someone score two goals right off the bat. I mean, you said it, and you and I believe it's true. I don't necessarily see postseason this first year, but if you're going to make a run for anything, or if you just want to work on a particular part of the game, I'm thinking like you got to cut into that differential a little bit. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, yeah, I think that's going to do it for us tonight uh, on the Hallis Hour. Uh, you know, for for Josh Kaskinen and myself, I'm Chris Walker. Uh, we bid you guys adieu, and we'll see you on the next episode. Catch you later.